Welcome to the Context Matters Podcast. I am your host, Cindy Parker. I am an educator, explorer, writer, and speaker. I enjoy gathering around the table with interesting people who have different life experiences from me. And then we get to talk about God, Bible, theology, and other tangentially related subjects. Your voice is always welcomed around this table. You can reach out to me and let me know what you're thinking about through my website, narrativeofplace.com. Way back when I was trying to figure out if I should go to seminary and then which seminary to go to, I had very little Christianese under my belt. I had no idea what the different terminology meant that seminaries posted all over their front homepage. So instead, I looked at the faculty pages. Who was there and could I see myself studying with them? Primarily, I wanted to go where women were welcome to teach the Bible, and I ended up at Gordon-Conwell in the Boston area, and one of my very first Old Testament classes was taught by today's guest, Dr. Carol Kaminsky. I loved her class, and I loved that the context in the class was, of course women teach the Hebrew Bible. Back in November, Dr. Kaminsky and I ran into each other, and I learned she recently completed a commentary on the Book of Chronicles, which is coming out very soon. That's perfect, I thought. Maybe she will be willing to give us a sneak peek at what is coming. I was thrilled when she accepted my invitation to come to the Context Matters podcast. So this week, I am happy to introduce Dr. Carol Kaminsky. She is the professor of Old Testament at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and the founder and director of Casket Empty, which we will talk about in a moment. First, what context does she grow up in, and what got her to the point that she was teaching me how to study the Old Testament? Lean in and enjoy the conversation. Well, I grew up in Australia, and my parents were Christians, but then they got divorced when I was younger, and so there was a lot of difficult years when I was growing up. But I did find myself reading the Bible and I had people at a local church that I'd started going to who really showed me what it was like to be a Christian. And I found myself even before I was a Christian reading things in the Bible. And I remember especially Romans chapter 7 and really feeling like the things that I wanted to do I couldn't do and really resonated with that. So I think the scriptures were always for me a way to encounter God rather than simply being an academic exercise or something to Mm. study. It was really quite relational early on in my life. I love that. And that even just thinking about the role of other adults in a church context, being able to influence the way that children and teens and university students grow up, I think is a good thing for us to remember. People tend to be very family focused and they forget all of the kids in the church can be influenced because of how you engage Bible and scripture. And if you think too of people in the church today, I mean, it's a difficult time for kids when they're growing up and with social media and so many different influences in their lives. And I think this is a wonderful opportunity for Christians to have input. And in my own life, It was just so important to see healthy Christian families, Christian marriages, and these people really just loved me. And when I became a Christian, I I got involved with the church and 
really started having a hunger for the scriptures. But I really think it was those people who invested in me early on that really made all the difference in my life. Did you study Bible at all at university? I studied Bible in my mid-20s. I had left school early. I'd been working for about 10 years in my mother's businesses, and I decided to go and study the Bible at a Bible college. But here's the thing, Cindy, I decided to study it for one year. (laughs) I thought I would study for one year and then I would go back to work. And, of course, you know my story that I studied it for over 10 years and it was one thing after another. And really what it was, it was never about a career for me because what happened was a Gordon Conwell graduate, Ricky Watts, who has taught over in Vancouver at Regent College for a number of years, when I went to study the Bible in my first year, he was teaching a class on Isaiah's new exodus in Mark and my whole world changed taking that class and really seeing the Bible as one redemptive story. And so I really didn't have the intention of thinking of a career or even a degree or those things were really far removed from my thinking. It was really about, I just want to study this. And I often say, you know, I wasn't, didn't know what I was looking for, but I found it. And once I found it, I was wanting to pursue that even more. But it was simply pursuing this hunger I had for the scriptures, and that led from one thing to the next, and then discovering this professor said, well, if you really want to study the Bible, you have to, you know, learn the original languages. And so I took that step and hated my first year of Greek, but but continued to, and, and then took Hebrew, and of course, I've been teaching Hebrew ever yeah. since. So God has a sense of humor in this one step at a time and pursuing those heart desires. Yeah. It's amazing. Each of those pursuing of desires took you to a different continent because then you ended up in Europe, (laughs) in Great Britain, right? For PhD studies. When did you know that one, you wanted to actually do it as a profession, study the Bible as a profession? And two, when did you know Hebrew Bible or Old Testament was going to be your focus? Yeah, so I did study over at Gordon-Conwell for three years. I did a double master's program, and I had originally thought I would be teaching back in Australia. And I think toward my end of my studies back in Australia, people were saying to me, really feel like that I had gifting with study and with teaching as well. And so I think it was the broader community around that really started to identify that in me before I did myself. And then when I went to study at Gordon-Conwell, I found just this deep hunger for it. And others, again, were saying, you really should be thinking about doing further study. And and so God, again, it was a gradual process of God just uh, helping me to move along. And I, I did have this sense when I was studying at Gordon-Conwell, I think God made me for this. Mm-hmm. And that then led me to, to study and do further work over at Cambridge, uh, worked in Genesis 1 to 11 and had a wonderful supervisor there, great experience, but that was that next stage. And I will say that even during my doctoral studies, that my love for the scripture was always there. And it continued during the main, some people would say, oh, wait till you've been doing this for a while. And it really hasn't changed. It's been a continual journey for me because I really do love studying the scriptures. I find them interesting and there's always new things to learn. Hmm. 
I know you from seminary. You were the first Old Testament female professor I had ever seen just kind of be out there, just like it's normal. This is just women do this too. And I was like, that is amazing. And it was so great. And I appreciated that immensely in my seminary years. But I also from seminary know you as the developer and the teacher of Casket. Can you tell us like what is Casket and why did you feel compelled to develop this material? Yeah, so Casket is part of the Casket Empty Project. I want to keep the empty in there just because it keeps it more positive. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. People sort of say Casket, why Casket? And I'm like, no, no, it's Casket Empty. <laughs> so uh, so when I was in Cambridge, I was asked by a church to teach the Old Testament and give an eight-week overview. And as I was preparing for that, I was trying to think about how to do it in a way that in a memorable way. And I really felt God gave me the acronym at the time. And the word casket empty is an acronym for the Bible. And it really is an entry point to help people learn the scriptures. I teach in local mm-hmm. churches and, of course, at seminaries, you know, but people find the Old Testament especially very intimidating. And so the acronym is Creation, Abraham, Sinai, Kings, Exile, Temple. So that stands for the Old Testament. And then empty is for the New Testament, expectations, Messiah, Pentecost, teachings, and yet to come. And really the idea behind this, Cindy, is that casket empty points to the resurrection of Jesus at the center of the biblical story. And it reminds us that the Old Testament is not simply a collection of separate books, but it is really one redemptive narrative. And we can't understand the Old Testament until we understand the New Testament. You've got to kind of see them both together. And you can't understand the New Testament until you understand the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. They're one story. And I find when I teach that in churches, that people, the scriptures start to come alive. And so we have materials written we have a large timeline as well so a visual timeline is part of the series because again I think we need to see visually it is a timeline and uh, there are bible studies and other resources I love the materials I use them even when it's just me personally mentally it's so easy to remember and it helps kind of fragment that timeline into important segments of Israelite and Jewish history, along with really important characters that fall during that portion of time, which just gives you handholds or like a grippy texture to hold on to when you're trying to put together kind of all of these grand stories that are all over the place. Yeah. And I do think the visual aspect of the timelines are central to it. So everything is kind of has been written around these timelines. And when I teach in churches, we have about 30 foot timeline with the two banners and it really, it's wonderful, you know, to be able to see it visually and trace the story, put the people in their right historical context in their right place, geography as well. All of those pieces start to come together. Yeah. You have always been mindful of the church and very interactive with the church, as well as very active as a scholar. And something like Casket Empty can come across to those in the academic world as simplistic, but it's so necessary and neat. Like the church is so hungry and thirsty for materials like this. How have you balanced this church? 
facing and academic facing. I'm asking for a friend. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I think what we've done sometimes in the academy is right for the academy. Yeah. And the whole system is really geared for that and including faculty when they teach and approval and continuing status and tenure, all those sorts of things. And I think if we only write for the academy, we've really missed our calling to really help the church because that's what we should be doing, I think. And I think a good model is to, in terms of for your friend, a good model is really to do both. So you can write, for example, I've written, my dissertation was in the JSOT series, uh, which is an academic series for those who are listening. Uh, I wrote a Noah book, was in an academic series. I've just written a commentary as well on Chronicles. But alongside that, I'm writing Bible studies. We have a casket empty Bible study that is an 18-week that goes through the storyline of the Old Testament And I teach Bible studies in the local church to really see where people are. And and I think we want to remember that the Bible can be complicated for people. And we need, as professors and those who have been trained, we need to help give access to people and communicate it in a way that is understandable so that people can go and study the Scriptures themselves. And so I think as faculty, I think, and as academics, we should be writing for both and not limiting it to one particular arena. Yeah. Dr. Kaminsky mentioned that she wrote a commentary on Chronicles, which is the primary reason we're having a talk today. I have many questions about why teach Chronicles in church. But I've always thought of her as a Pentateuch scholar. She has a lot of published material on Genesis 1 through 11, you know, those epic stories of pre-Israelite history. I love the work she did on Noah, but Chronicles? That's on the whole opposite end of the Hebrew Bible chronology. Language, history, politics, it's all a whole new context in Chronicles. So I had to ask, how did she end up writing on that particular book? It is interesting that you say that because when I was invited by Tremper Longman to write for the Story of God series, which is Zondervan, there were other books I could have chosen, including within the Pentateuch, (laughs) the first five books, right? So... And they were very surprised, Tremper and then uh, one of the other editors was, very, wow, Chronicles, this has surprised us. So they had the same question, interestingly. What I've always loved about Chronicles is the stories of Israel's kings and this wonderful theology there within the stories. For example, just one illustration, the concept of seeking the face of God, which is a very spiritual mm. kind of prayer. Mm. The verb to seek occurs more often in Chronicles than in any other book in the Old Testament. Mm. And the question is, why is that? Because Chronicles is really all about prayer and seeking the face of God and humbling yourself. This is where we get that famous kind of well-known verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek pray and seek my face. So I was really interested in Chronicles because of that theology And I also felt that the book itself was fairly neglected in the church. And (laughs) I think one of the gifts God's given me is getting complex material and simplifying it. And 
although it did test me when I was working on it with all the genealogies <laughs> as well. But, of course, I love genealogies from Genesis, but they, there are a lot of genealogies in there. But, but I really felt I wanted to be able to work through the material so that I could bring it to the church. And I want people to be reading it. I've written a Bible study on Chronicles. I want pastors to be preaching from it. And so I felt I could do some of that upfront exegetical work an analysis and then cut, look at how to really that this is useful for the church and relevant for it. That is one of the primary reasons why I'm doing this little mini series right now is just even in thinking of biblical literacy and thinking of the church and all of the books that are hard to preach from. And so we don't, and therefore it creates gaps in people's literacy and even how they understand the entire narrative of the Bible. There's huge chunks that are missing. And I think it skews either what we think about emotion, human emotion, God's emotion, or even God's story. And I love that you're out there to go fix that. Well, the other fun thing with this commentary is 40% of it is application. Now that's if you know anything about Old Testament commentaries, that's unusual. Right. <laughs> and it's very unusual when it comes to Chronicles. If you read the commentaries out there, they have a lot of information, technical information about it with very little about application. Mm. And so I was excited to write in the series because 40% is application and Chronicles is made for application. We have to come back to that because the first nine chapters are almost entirely genealogies. And even after that, there's a lot of lists of names in following chapters, which does not intuitively lend itself to a commentary that has 40% application. Before we untangle that, let's think about the big picture. What is Chronicles doing? And if you read in the Jewish Bible, Chronicles is the final book of the canon. But in the Christian organization, Chronicles comes right after Kings. And it seems to just repeat stories. If you're reading straight through, it feels a bit redundant. But the book is contributing a new perspective. What do we know about the author, the source materials, and why it's written? Yeah, so it does repeat some of the stories from Kings and from Samuel, but it is important to understand its own context, and I think that helps us see some of those differences. So really the main thing to keep in mind when you think of Chronicles, it is really coming right at the end of the story of Israel. So it's in that final time period uh, in the casket empty acronym, that's that temple, the last 100 years, so Chronicles is in that final time period. And here's what else is very interesting. Chronicles is about the story of Israel's kings, yet there are no kings on the throne. How interesting is that? Huh. There are no kings on the throne because the Israelites go into exile in 586. So they go into Babylon. Then they come back 539. You've got King Cyrus. They go back into Jerusalem. But... There is no king on the throne until the coming of the Messiah. I mean, so that's a, so, and, and yet you have these stories of the kings. Why is that the case? It is because, and I'll talk about the author in the moment, where he called the chronicler, because the author is retelling these stories 
for this generation who are living now back in Israel. And the other thing that happens when they're back in the land of Israel is that it is, it's really a day of small things. The glory days of the kingdom are over. You know, once you've had your last king, they've got, they're under Persia. There are governors that are ruling. They're paying heavy taxes to Persia. So it's also a difficult time. Their land, they've got to go and reproduce on in the land again. And they're starting from the beginning. Some of their fellow Jewish people have remained as part of the diaspora. And yet, so those who have gone back, it's a huge step of faith. And it is, there are nations that are surrounding them to the north and to the south. And you see this in the book of Nehemiah as well, where there's conflict. It's not an easy time. We know that there's also some poverty going on. Nehemiah tells this. So so the question is, how do you live in this new land when the glory days are over? The chronicler is trying to address these issues and he does and he gives hope to people in their new context and he's going to retell the story and focus on other dimensions to the story that is going to help God's people in their present circumstances. So he's ultimately really a preacher. He's got these sermons that turn up all over the place. Hmm. I like that, pointing that out, because I think another thing that people don't always realize is we can see in the Hebrew Bible the way that people in the Bible are reinterpreting their history, their Torah for their time and place. And if we lose track of the timeline, like the casket empty, if we don't know where we're at on that timeline, it just feels like weird, contradictory material instead of realizing we're interpreting something that in this day is already very old. And so it needs to be reinterpreted for those people in that time and place. That's right. So so that's exactly what the Chronicle is doing. He's reinterpreting the stories and he's, you can see he's using other resources as well. You know, he cites various sources, but he's really giving a message for his time. And let me just give you one example of this, Cindy, in some of the, you mentioned about what are some of the differences Chronicles opens with these nine chapters of genealogies, which, of course, (laughs) puts off most people. (laughs) Talk about hard to preach (laughs) chapters of the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, and I I did an application for every chapter in there as well. So, and you'll be interested, there's lots of geography and importance of place and identity. But, But it starts with Adam. And you think, here we are in the final time of the Old Testament, and yet the Chronicle is going back to the genealogies of Adam, and he's running through, and he talks about Abraham, the table of nations, and he's running through that story. And the first point that he's doing and he's telling his audience is the plan and purposes of God haven't changed. His creation purpose will be fulfilled, and it's now being fulfilled in this small group of people in Unlikely circumstances in this small, God's purpose hasn't changed and he is fulfilling it and they need to catch a vision of his creative purpose, his calling of Israel. So the genealogies help us theologically anchor the whole story of Israel and their present Mm. circumstances and it's reminding them that they are to be a blessing to the nations, even those problem nations to the north and to the south, God is and God's calling hasn't changed. 
Well, this is quite the topic to start off the new year in, right? And don't worry, next week we will talk more about the importance of these genealogies. Well, maybe you weren't worried, but you will see more of the beauty in this list of names, including the diversity included in the clan of Judah. This week, I am pleased to thank Brent Emery, Mindelin Young, and the Sion family for making this episode about Chronicles possible. They are part of the Patreon team who has stepped up and contributed to sustaining this project in this new year. I am not able to do any of this without my team, so thank you. I produced this episode. Luke Bronner of Milieu Media Group did the edits in the final mix, and Peter Lordson of Sycamore Sound created the music. It is really good to be with you, and I look forward to our conversation next week. Until then, be safe in this new year, take care of each other, and stay curious about the world around you.